Well, good morning, Northridge. How are you guys? Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. My name is Pete. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Northridge, and we're just so honored you're here. If you're a guest, we're just so glad you're here. Make yourself at home. We're not going to make you stand up and tell your story or anything like that, although it would make this service a little more interesting if we did, uh, but we won't, all right? Just know that you're welcome. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, I want to welcome those of you watching online as well. We're so happy you're with us, and we're in a series called Believe that Pastor Brad kicked off uh, last week. And he did a great job of kind of setting up where it is that we're going in this series. And he said in uh, his message last week that believing is really the key to experiencing God and his promises in our life. But he was also very honest. And he said, believing is not always as easy as it may seem because God's ways are not our ways. And that's so true, right? God's ways are not our ways. And we tend to approach life and we tend to approach money and we tend to approach relationships with what I would call conventional wisdom. But as you flip through the Bible, you discover real quick on almost every single page that we have a God who is always taking conventional wisdom and turning it upside down on his own head. And so sometimes we find ourselves in these positions where do we trust? Do we not trust? Do we believe? Do we not believe? And Pastor Brad said last week that the biggest difference between people who experience, right, God writing his story in and through them and people who don't experience God writing his story in and through them is one word, and it's belief, right? It's those who believe who experience God in and through their life. And today we're going to kind of unpack this truth that Christmas changed everything for everyone who believed. That's the key. Christmas changed everything for everyone who believed. Now, we're going to look at this passage, uh, Luke chapter 2, very famous passage. This is kind of where everybody goes when they're telling the Christmas story. And I realize that the vast majority of you probably have heard the Christmas story hundreds of times. So the temptation is to kind of just like go a little bit numb. The temptation is uh, it falls on deaf ears. You've heard it so many times. You've been here, done this, blah, blah, blah. But I really wanna encourage you today to listen to this story with fresh ears. Listen to it as if you were there to experience it. Listen to it as if this is the first time that you've ever heard this story because it's an amazing story, but it's so much more than a story, right? And I know it's real easy this time of year to kind of put the manger scene in the same category as Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Reindeer and all these different things. But listen, lean in and begin to understand what it is that God was trying to teach us to this amazing moment, okay? Luke 2 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. They, obviously, was Mary and Joseph, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. We're gonna talk a lot about the shepherds today. And they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And pay attention to that word all, all right? We're going to come back to that. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rest. Now, that passage, it's real easy to miss it, 
But that word all, that idea that this baby Jesus, this savior that could offer grace and mercy and salvation to the world was here for all the people. There never, never been an announcement like that. There never been spirituality like that, right? It, it, it changed everything. And I want to talk today about that word all and how seriously God takes the word all and what would happen in our lives if we took that word serious. Because the good news of Christmas, the good news of this undeserved gift of Jesus is that it's for all the people. And that's the message of Christmas. This is not religion repackaged. You understand that, right? With the birth of Jesus was not a, a new kind of shiny, you know, approach to religion. It's not religion 2.0. It's not some new approach to God. In fact, it's not an approach to God at all. It's about God approaching us. It's about God coming to us with what he knew we needed more than anything else, which was a savior. And so for the first time in history, there's this announcement that there's this gift and it's for all the people, for everybody. It didn't matter where you were born, didn't matter who your parents were, didn't matter what your skin color was, it didn't matter if you knew all the religious jargon and how to dot the I's and cross the T's and jump through all the hoops. No, this was for all the people. And this announcement in and of itself is pretty spectacular, right? The idea that this announcement is given to the shepherds first, right? So it's kind of cool. This is the way God works, right? He makes this announcement that this gift, this, this is gonna be for all the people, and then he re-emphasizes all by giving this announcement to the shepherds. If you would have been like a religious scholar during the time of Jesus studying like the coming of the birth of Jesus, it would have been unthinkable, unthinkable that God would have made this announcement to a group of shepherds. I don't know if you know a lot about shepherds, but there's not a lot of prestige and honor that comes along with being a shepherd. Um, I know a little bit about sheep. I don't know a lot about sheep. I accidentally got some sheep one time. So I have this little small hobby farm. I've never bought an animal for this farm. People just give me animals uh, that they don't want anymore. So I have a very odd collection of animals. And one day this guy calls me. He's like, I've got a donkey I don't want can we put them on your farm? And I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted a donkey. That would be so cool. And so he shows up and he has a donkey and he also has three sheep. He's like, do you want the sheep too? And I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted sheep. That's awesome, I'll take the sheep. Fast forward three years later, I now have 30 sheep. I, I'm a terrible farmer. I don't even know how it happened. I'll be honest. I never saw like any activity or anything. I, I never knew a single time that one of the sheep were pregnant. I had no clue. I would just go out to the farm and be like, oh my gosh, where'd that come from? That like, they would just show up like uh, over and over and over again. And then I've got 30 sheep. I can't even get rid of the sheep because nobody wants the sheep. You know why? Because sheep are boring. They're just boring. Like, nobody really cares about sheep. And shepherds, poor shepherds. I mean, even today in our Christmas plays, GOC, all these type things, the wise men, they get the really cool outfits, but not the shepherds, no. Because they had nothing interesting going on in their life. Shepherds ate with the animals. They walked with the animals, right? They slept with the animals. They smelled like the animals. They were at the bottom the very bottom of the social ladder. Being a shepherd was just boring. I mean, occasionally 
You might get to chase off a wild animal or you might get to track down one of the sheep that's kind of wandered off. But outside of that, it's just boring because sheep are boring. Think about when you take your kids to the zoo. Kids will sprint to the monkey exhibit, right? They'll sprint to the lion exhibit or the bear exhibit. Nobody runs to the sheep exhibit because <laughs> they're boring, right? They just, they don't do anything. And so that's what's going on here. You have this ragged, rough group of guys who are out in the field, probably just trying to stay awake because they're so bored. They're flipping through Instagram, you know, like imagining this life that they wish they had, that they didn't have, that they wish they were with anybody other than who they're with, anywhere other than where they're at in this moment. And then everything changes, right? Then all of a sudden, right, there's this host of angels making this unbelievable proclamation, the most exciting, significant, extraordinary announcement in the history of humanity. And who's smack dab in the middle of it? It's the shepherds. And it had to be like at least a little bit overwhelming for them, right? I mean, they're shepherds. Nothing ever interesting happens to them. They've never done anything of any significance or any importance they probably felt like they didn't matter. They felt like they didn't matter to their boss. They felt like they didn't matter to their family. They didn't matter to their kids. They certainly didn't matter to God. And then all of a sudden, everything changes in this instance, and they discovered that they mattered more than they could ever imagine to the holy God of the universe. It changed everything. Right? Christmas is for all the people. But even as I say that, isn't it true that for some of you, you're like, yeah, like, I, I get that it's for all the people, but we all know somebody, and maybe you're one of those somebodies, who's never really experienced the joy that this story is soaked in. Right? They've never experienced the grace that this story embodies or the love that it's saturated in. They've just missed it. So how could this impact so many people, including this kind of nobody group of shepherds, but then there's so many of us who completely miss what it's all about. And I think it comes down to that word that we've been talking about. It's believe, right? You continue in this story. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Like the Lord told us about it. Why would we not go, right? They believed. Here's the interesting thing about belief. Belief is almost always followed by action, right? You think something, you believe something, and your life just naturally moves in that direction. This is why the Bible actually talks so much about our thought life and taking your thoughts captive, because the things that you think, the things that you believe are going to impact the direction that your life goes in. And the Bible's not the only thing to verify that, right? The modern psychology, cognitive behavioral psychology says the exact same thing. Your life is moving in the direction of your most powerful thoughts or your most powerful beliefs. It creates action. And that's what happened here. The very next verse says, so they hurried off, right? There's the action that followed the belief. They hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They're amazed, why? Because nobody had ever heard a message like this. Nobody had ever heard this idea that this, 
This Christ child, this salvation, this grace, this mercy, this love was for all the people. It wasn't like just for the educated. It wasn't just for the behaved. It was for all the people. Not just for strong families, not just for strong marriages and great careers and people who have good credit scores. It's for all the people. And in choosing the shepherds, trust me, this is unbelievably strategic by the God of the universe. In choosing the shepherds to give this announcement to, what God is saying is no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you look like, no matter where you're from, Christmas is for you. This gift of love, it's for everyone. Uh, some of you know, uh, several weeks back, my grandmother passed away. And she was an amazing woman, lived well into her 90s, just lived a very God-honoring life, impacted a lot of people through her life. And my family did what most families do when a loved one passed away. We gathered together, you know, we had some food, and we just told stories, right? We just told stories about who she was, how she loved us, how she impacted us. And uh, a couple months before my grandmother passed away, my family had to make that tough decision to move my grandpa and my grandma into an assisted living facility so they could get the care that they, they really needed. But in doing so, we knew they were never going back to their house again. And so, you know, you go through, a lot of you have been through this before, you start going through the house, you start separating stuff, you know, what's the stuff that has sentimental value, what's the stuff that we'll just kind of sell in an estate sell, and, and uh, we're kind of going through stuff. I wasn't able to be there that day, but my sister was there, and so she's sending me pictures of all these different things, like, hey, do you want this, do you want that? And it wasn't a whole lot that I wanted, like, I got some Christmas decorations my grandma had made, I got my grandpa's Bible, uh, he was a pastor for 50 years, and he hand-wrote out all of his sermons. And so I got three or four notebooks just full of all these sermons that he's written over the years, and I thought that was really cool. But as she's going through stuff and she's showing me furniture and all that stuff, it hit me the one thing that would have been really cool to have, and it wasn't super practical for me, but I wanted their kitchen table as soon as I saw it. I was like, I, I want that kitchen table. This is not their kitchen table, by the way, all right? This is a prop. Uh, their kitchen table was like probably three times the length of this one. And it was most of the time, especially in their later years, just my grandma and grandpa. But uh, when everybody would gather and their kids were there and their grandkids like me and cousins and all that, that table was full. And I loved sitting at that table. I remember that table from when like, I was barely like, tall enough even to kind of see over that table. But we spent years playing games around those. My, my grandparents loved games, loved games. Have you ever heard of the game Rummy Cube? They love Rummy Cube, it's a boring game, but they, <laughs> they love that game. And we play that game for hours and all kinds of other games over the years, just laughing and having great memories around that table. It's interesting, my, my grandma, she was a woman of very few words. She did not like being in front of people. My grandfather made up for all of that. Uh, and he was a pastor, you know, what, what else was he gonna do? He had to talk, right? And my grandma, she was just more quiet. She served in the church nursery for 50 years, every single Sunday, holding babies, singing Jesus Loves Me to them. She never got burned out on that, she loved that. And I think part of the reason was because the kids didn't talk, right? They were babies, so she didn't have to talk. She could just sing to them. But the way my grandma expressed love was cooking. 
She loved to cook and she was a great cook. And I can remember as a kid, my favorite thing that she would make, she had this homemade strawberry jam. I'm sure there was like a bag of sugar in the stuff, but it was so good. And she would bake these rolls that were the size of your head, these big fluffy rolls. And at every meal at my grandma's house, you had strawberry jam and rolls. It didn't matter what, what the main course was, you were gonna have rolls and strawberry jam. And I can remember just sitting around that table and feeling the love, feeling the laughter, like feeling the joy, feeling like, this is, this is my place, right? These are my people. And that kind of got me thinking lately a lot about tables and kind of the role that tables have played in all of our lives. So I was thinking back to like my eighth grade year, um, I had to move to a new school. And it was a tough transition for me because I'd went to the same school up to that point. It was a very small Christian school. It was like 100 people in the whole school. And all of a sudden, my eighth grade year, I'm at this massive middle school with like 1,000 kids, and I'm scared to death. I don't know anybody. Now, those of you that are here that are in middle school or high school or can remember middle school or high school, you know that like the scariest moment is that first day of school when you walk into the lunchroom because you have to find your place at a table. And it's like, where am I welcome? So I walk into this lunchroom. I'll never forget this. I'm carrying this, uh, this tray you know, of my food and my little carton of milk or juice or whatever it was. And I'm looking for a place. And it's, it's easy to spot, right, the tables and the clicks. And you got this table over here, and they're the jocks, and that's not me. And uh, there's this table over here, and these are the cheerleaders. And I'd like to sit there, but I'm not really welcome there. And then this table over here, this is kind of a nerdy, kind of very studious group. They're like, got their books out at lunchtime, and I know I'm not going to be able to hang with that conversation. And so I'm just walking with great fear for where do I belong? And I'm walking through that lunchroom, and I walked by this table, and I felt this kid kind of grab my arm. And he said, you want to sit here? And I was like, you bet I do. Like, yes, I want to sit here. And instantly... I didn't know any of the people sitting at this table. The guy who asked me to sit down, his name was Lee Dalton. He ended up being a great friend of mine all the way through high school. But I felt accepted. I felt like I had a place. I instantly felt like so much of the anxiety just left. Like, I'm good. I sat at that table all of eighth grade year, every single day. That was my spot, right? I, I had some people. I was accepted. Fast forward several years later, I'm a senior in high school. I'm dating a girl by the name of Melanie Goad. And uh, I love that girl. And I loved her family. She had a great family. And at that time, my senior year of high school was kind of a tough year. My parents were going through a divorce. So I just, I didn't feel like I had a place. You know, they were trying to work through their things the best that they possibly could. But part of the deal in dating Melanie was you had to have dinner at her house every Saturday night. That, that was their thing. Every Saturday night, all the kids sitting around the table, they had hamburgers. Every Saturday night, you had a hamburger and you sat around that table. And I remember loving sitting around that table with them. I felt accepted, right? I had this family that all of a sudden, I didn't feel like I was a part of, but now I'm a part of this family. I'm a part of this unit. I felt accepted. I felt loved. I felt like I had a place. A few years after that, uh, I'm 21 years old. I'm graduating from college. I've started a church. Uh, I have hardly any money. One of the guys that started the church with us uh, lived in that community. He had a farm, and on the back of his farm, he had this old trailer. I mean, really old trailer, piece of junk, right? He's like, 
I'll sell that to you for $3,000. I'm like, done. That's my home right there. 3,000 bucks. I got it. And we drove it down the road and put it on this piece of property. And when I say piece of junk, like in the, in the I'll never forget this, in the bedroom, there was a hole like this big that just had carpet over it. There's no flooring to it. But I knew exactly where it was. I could get up at two o'clock in the morning to go pee, sleepwalking, and I just knew just to step over that and just keep going. I knew, I knew exactly where it was, all right? But uh, I filled this trailer with uh, just hand-me-down hand type furniture, right? I got a couch for my mom, a bed for my dad. It's what you do when you're leaving college and you have nothing. You just get hand-me-down stuff from, from family. But I didn't have a table, and I wanted a kitchen table. And I found the table I wanted. It was $1,100. Now you do the math. When you're living in a trailer that costs $3,000, you probably shouldn't buy a kitchen table that costs $1,100. But I did it anyway. And so I had this table. I had that table for over 20 years. My kids were raised around that table. Right? They learned to eat around that table. We played games around that table. Mostly what happened at that table over all those years, lots of conversations was love and acceptance. That's what happened at the table. Now some of you are like, okay, all right, we got it. Got the idea, where, where are you going with this? Well, it's interesting because the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about tables. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, it's really interesting, uh, in Israel's history, they, they put together this little tent and the tent was supposed to show this very odd nomadic group of people that God actually wanted to be with his people. And there wasn't a whole lot of furniture in that tent, but there was a table. And on that table, there was a pitcher of wine and some bread. The bread had special significance. It was actually called the bread of presence. And this bread just signified to the Israelites, God's here, you're not alone. There's actually 12, 12 different loaves of bread on this table, one for each tribe of Israel. And again, the symbolic idea here was there's a place at the table for everybody, right? There's plenty for everybody. You know, you can tell a whole lot about a person by the kind of people who sits at their table. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament was always getting in trouble for this, always. He was always entertaining people at the table that people thought he shouldn't entertain at the table. And it's interesting, in the time of Jesus, sharing a meal with somebody was very symbolic. When you shared a meal with somebody, it meant that you were extending acceptance, you were extending love, you were extending protection, friendship. It was a very important thing. And Jesus, he shared meals at the table with some of the strangest people, and he was always getting hammered for it. The religious leaders who wanted to accuse him, that's what they went after him on. And so, like, here's just one example of this, Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. It's like, oh, can you believe it? He's welcoming them to the table. He is showing them friendship, acceptance, love, protection. They're like, he can't do that. But Jesus kept doing it anyway. In fact, Jesus never one time ever apologized for who he sat at the table with. Not one time. 
In fact, in Luke 15, this is interesting, when they accused him of this, of eating with people, his response was just to tell a story. You remember what the story was? It's the story of the prodigal son. So a few verses later, he basically tells a story, just to sum it up. It's like there's a father, and he's sitting at a table with two of his sons. And one of the sons decides that he doesn't want to sit at the table anymore. He thinks that life has something better to offer him. So he gets up from the table and he leaves. And the Bible says his son travels, he goes, engages in all this wild activity. Honestly, he's just looking for what all of us are looking for, which is love and acceptance. He wanted to find a place where he could be fully known and fully loved. And he didn't think he could find it at the table. He thought he could find it out in the world, but he didn't. He found no table. In fact, the story tells us that one day he ends up eating with the pigs. No table. He's lost everything. And so he wonders, if I go back home, I wonder if there's still a place for me in the family. And so he goes home and the father welcomes him. And you remember one of the very first things the father says to him? He says, kill the fattened calf. We're gonna have a feast. In other words, son, not only do you have a place in this family, you're coming back to the table. Right, we're gonna have a feast. We're gonna celebrate. And what Jesus was teaching us in that moment is that your sin does not make you second class. You understand that? See, I, I think some of you get that here, but you don't get it here. Right, do you believe that? See, everything changes if you believe it. Your sin does not make you second class. And that shame that you feel from some of the mistakes and sins you've committed in your life that's now driving you to some really unhealthy behavior, right? That shame begins to melt away when you really understand that your sin doesn't make you second place. In other words, it doesn't exclude you from the table. And I hope that you'll remember that eventually it was sitting at too many tables with too many of the wrong kinds of people that got Jesus killed but he just couldn't stop. In fact, on his last night on earth, before his crucifixion, he's sitting at one more table. This time he's sitting at a table with all of his disciples. And the disciples had sitting at many tables with Jesus. They had seen all the strange people that he had invited into their community to sit at the table with them. But this time it's a little different. This time it's just Jesus and his disciples. And on that table, there was also a pitcher of wine and some bread. And Jesus said, from now on, when you see that wine and you see that bread, it's gonna mean something very different to you because that wine is gonna represent my blood that's been shed for you and that bread's gonna represent my broken body that's about to be broken for you. And when you see that, you'll never, ever have to doubt your salvation. You'll never, ever have to doubt my grace and my love again. You'll never have to doubt that there's a seat at the table for you. And here we are some 2,000 years later, and throughout all of church history, believers have gathered and they partook of what we call communion, or sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. In fact, in the little church that I grew up in, there's a communion table that was always up front. Right? It was a communion table. You're invited to the table. And I've taken communion thousands of times in my life, but there's not a single time that I don't grab that little cup and that little bread and I'm not reminded that this salvation 
this grace, this love, this mercy that God has shown me, it's not earned. It's not deserved. You understand it, right? It was never about deserving. It was just about love. It was about the love of a God who announces the most important event in human history to a group of nobody shepherds. That's the kind of God he is. It was about a cross. It was about a broken body and blood that was shed. It was about grace. And he still sits at the table. And he's waiting for some of you to come home. See, it's an interesting thing because the fact is, let's, let's, can we make this personal for just a second? We'll wrap up. The fact is that for some of you that are here, there was a time in your life that you were sitting at the table, right? You took place in God's great feast and gift to you and you accepted his grace and you accepted his forgiveness and you accepted his love and his mercy, his purpose, his identity that he gave you. But then something happened, right? Something happened. In fact, for some of you, really honest, you feel very distant with God right now, right? He's not really a, a part of your life. You sometimes doubt his love, you doubt his grace. You, you feel kind of aimless in life. And I don't know what happened, right? Maybe there was some kind of event that took place in your life and, and you just couldn't explain why it happened. And so you blamed God for it. And it created this riff, it created this distance and you got up from the table. Maybe some of you were like the prodigal, right? The prodigal at one time was sitting at the table and he made a choice to get up from the table and do it his way. And so some of you were at the table, but you got a little bit restless because things weren't happening fast enough. Or, or maybe you felt like you were spinning out of control. You started to think that the table was about earning and deserving. And so you didn't feel like you really had a place there. So like the prodigal, you got up and you went out into the world looking for that love and that acceptance. But now you're starting to discover, oh, it's not there. You tried alcohol, you tried drugs, you tried relationships, you tried jobs, you tried climbing the ladder, you tried all kinds of things, but there's still this emptiness inside of you because what you desire more than anything else is to be fully known and fully loved. But the only place, the only place that we are fully known and fully loved is at the table. It's right here in God's grace and his mercy and this feast that he's provided for us. And so if that's you, if you left the table, no matter what's happened in that time since you left the table, you know you're welcome back, right? Just like the father in the story that Jesus told, he will receive you back. There's always a place for you at the table and your sin, you trying to manage your life on your own does not exclude you from the table. Now, there's some of you that are here that you've never even been to the table, right? You're here, you're kind of exploring things. You're exploring the God thing. You're exploring spirituality. You've kind of dabbled around a little bit with this whole Jesus thing, but you've never been to the table. In other words, you've never fully received Jesus's grace and forgiveness into your life. You've never asked for what he did on the cross to be applied to your life. Maybe today is the day for you, right? I mean, why not? Why not? There's this great verse, Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you, here's the word, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That simple. It's that simple. And I know, 
I get it. Your intellect's pushing back on that. There's no way. This is old stuff. It can't be that easy. I get it. I get it. Everything inside of us wants to earn and deserve it. But it's not about earning and deserving. This is a free gift of grace, and it is for all the people. So I'm going to invite you right now. I'm going to invite you right now to open up your heart to Jesus. And so I'm just going to ask you guys to bow your head and close your eyes. And whether you're in this room or maybe you're at home watching this online and you've never received Jesus in your life, why not do it today? Why not make the choice to believe? And just say a simple prayer like this. You can say it in your own words. You can say it in your heart. You can say it out loud, however you want to. But just say something like, dear God, with as much as I understand about you in this moment, I wanna invite you into my life. I understand that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and therefore I have a seat at the table. I can receive this grace and this mercy and this love and this purpose in this very moment by simply believing in you and making you the Lord of my life. Amen. It's that simple. Uh, can we celebrate right now with those who just prayed that prayer? It's a big deal. I'm proud of you because just like Pastor Brad said, believing is not always easy. Sometimes it just doesn't even make sense to us. And so I'm going to give you two things as we just kind of wrap up this entire service. First of all, if you prayed that prayer we would love to know about it. We just want to support you. We're not going to show up at your door and like bug you or anything like that. But if you just text the word Northridge to 31616, we'll get a little information from you. We'll send you this little Bible. It has a journal in it. It's super cool. This is a great like first thing that you need when you're trying to figure out what the Christian life is all about. We'll send this to you completely free. Just text the word Northridge to 31616 uh, and we'll get that information. The second thing is this. There's nothing like Christmas time at Northridge. Between GOC and Christmas Eve, it's just, it blows my mind how God uses the talent and the resources and the volunteers in this church to just put these amazing moments together that move all of us. And our Christmas Eve services are coming up. I bet all of you know at least one person, family member, a neighbor, a coworker, who's not sitting at the table. They're not enjoying the grace, the mercy, the joy, and the love of our Heavenly Father. And at Christmas, there's something about it, even for people who don't believe, they are more open to believing, they are more open to exploring than any other time of the year. So I really wanna encourage you to invite somebody with you to Christmas Eve. We've made it so easy. In fact, if, if you like like texting, here, here, text the word invite to 31616, We'll send you back a little digital invite. It has all the service times on it. This is so easy. Then all you have to do is text your friends. You can be like, hey, we'd love for you to go with me. Pick a service, pick a time, and I'll go with you, right? If you don't like digital, we have paper too, right? You can go out to the front desk. They'll load you up with some invites. You can hand these out. You put them on uh, underneath the wiper of a car at the mall. Whatever you want to do, right? Use it. Don't come alone, like bring somebody with you. Let's make this Christmas the best Christmas ever because we're inviting people to come to the table to experience God's love and his mercy in a very unique way. And so I really wanna empower you, I wanna encourage you to make sure to take advantage of that because it's gonna be amazing, all right? Merry Christmas, guys. Love you so much. We'll see you next weekend.